why do I do what I do? I identify deeply as a helper. And so I find a lot of my energy from sort of pouring into what others are doing and seeing them succeed. So I think that's like the embodiment of the way that I approach enablement and sort of who I am at my core. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning culture podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning culture podcast teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barry, and joining me this week is Chad Trabuco. Chad is the Director of Revenue Enablement at Guru. Guru is a knowledge management software, which I thought was so fascinating because of the question that I ask at the end of every Rapid Fire 5, and that is, how do you capture and distill ideas in people's heads for future use? And that's exactly what Guru does, and that's exactly what Chad is so passionate about. At the risk of this becoming an episode about Guru, we really dug deep into knowledge management because I think it is such an important issue for anybody developing people and enabling people. Chad has been a user of the product for a lot longer than he's worked there and so is able to draw out some of the best practices of knowledge management in general and that's where we focused. In this episode you'll learn about how he groups reps in cohorts by tenure and how he's seen a progression in their ability as a rep as they progress through those cohorts. You'll learn about the importance of reps getting reps and what experimentation and the peer-to-peer learning about what people are learning helps in in enabling an entire team and finally you learn in a deep dive all about knowledge management to facilitate this part of the conversation we use a framework created by tiago forte a guru in the knowledge management space for personal knowledge management or productivity the framework is code capture organize distill and express those four steps form the basis of our conversation about how you can get the tacit knowledge in your sales team's heads out and explicit in ways that others can benefit from it. As I said, this is a topic that has been on the minds of every single enablement person I've spoken to, so I know you will enjoy what Chad has to share. So please sit back and enjoy this episode with Chad Trabuco. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Pumped to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, You are in a role now on that is uh center of a topic which i think is so important to enablement people um, and to anybody who's responsible for developing people and knowledge within companies but before we get into all of that uh how did you get started in enablement well like most i found my way through a, a funny rabbit hole i think um i come from actually the construction world uh and was writing uh proposals responding to rfps for bridges and dams and that type of thing and was in San Francisco. And I thought, you know what, I need to make the jump. This is not the industry for me long term. And so started writing proposals for Oracle, the Oracle Marketing Cloud. Um, So got my feet wet in sort of like the B2B world, some SaaS stuff, um, and then landed at a company, an HR tech company called Glint, um, which was looking to build out a sales enablement program. But one of the core needs was RFPs because the the team was just drowning, uh, being in the HR space, just drowning and responding to proposals. And so they needed someone with experience there to sort of like build out that program and sort of do that as sales enablement while I sort of got my feet wet um, doing other things that are more traditionally enablement focused. So that's how I got in. I feel really lucky. And then Glint was purchased by, by LinkedIn. And so I got to see sales enablement at like you know, an incredible scale and work inside mm. that business. Uh, so it's been pretty fun and quite the trajectory. I couldn't have mapped it out, but uh, that's that's the adventure of it, right? Yeah. And like most people in enablement, you've kind of learned as you go, right? There's yeah. no formal training for for any of this. Um, I, I want to, I, so I, I noticed in your, in your background, your bio, that the proposal manager role, you know, popped up a few times and you seem to have specialized in that for a while. Um, 
I'm curious just out of interest and also then extending that curious of if there's stuff you've drawn into, you know, what our conversation is, but just uh, maybe like a two minute masterclass for folks on proposal writing, responding to, to RFPs, that kind of thing. What, what are like your two or three biggest takeaways that you sort of, you know, the first pieces of advice you give to people that are, that are having to do that? Oh, gosh, I could do, I could do a two hour masterclass. I spent a lot of time doing it. Uh, it's a, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a unique problem. And I think there's sort of two ways you can look at it. In the construction world, it was really services oriented. So every sort of proposal was bespoke. Um, they were sort of design build contracts. So everything was net new. This is how we would build this. This is how we would do that. Whereas in the SaaS world, it's a lot more repeatable. Um, and you're usually asked the same types of questions. So I will get into sort of like this knowledge management conversation in a little bit. But it really sort of that's sort of uh, one of the seeds of of sort of my love for for content and knowledge management is the proposal world because you're building out sort of these repositories of question answer question answer question answer because yeah. generally the same sort of questions are asked over and over so I think the first thing that that you do is you take you know some of the the top proposals that have been used before and you sort of parse those out and start to try to match some of the similar questions and build your own little repository so that you can go through and start building it. And then the next piece is, mm. is really trying to do that at scale. Um, I think there are some great tools out there that start to do, start to automate some of that work and can cut out some of the, you know, if you're using an Excel spreadsheet, looking back and forth can cut out a lot of that work and sort of surface the answers for each question. And we found that to be super valuable. I think it saved us something like 30% of our time, manual time. Um, and we were able to respond more, but we were responding at, at Glint, we were responding to seven, eight proposals a week. So the, the volume is super high. And so you need to figure out a way to sort of shortcut some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And then my last, my, my, my last piece of advice is just like, make sure you put your best foot forward because sometimes the proposal is the brand. And I think it's very easy to send over a Google doc or just sort of a, a quick and dirty word doc. But if you put some mm. thought behind it, some images behind it, some branding behind it, I think any mistake or any sort of like generic piece um, sort of gets lost in sort of the presentation. You can sometimes win that way. Mm. I hope my proposal team are going to listen <laughs> back to to this episode. There's some some great advice there. And I, I like, I just sort of also the, the way you go about it, I think probably is partly what makes you successful now in enablement roles, kind of looking at like the process orientation of it and, and like deconstructing it and saying like, these are the steps, this is how we can replicate this over time. And that's obviously one of the best ways to, to enable and teach others to do it. Right. Totally. Totally. And it's a great way to learn the yeah. product as well. Right. Cause you're inside of it. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So you brought that experience and then, so it sounds like Glint was kind of the, the way you first started performing the enablement role. And I'm kind of using yeah. the, the air quotes here because that, that role looks a little different at every company. Um, but what would you say, like, what was the, when you made that shift, what was like the mandate given to you? Like what they said, this is what you're responsible for. Yeah, I think it, at first, and, and, and what's really cool about my role now is I'm working for someone who understands what has, has worked in enablement before. And at Glint, it was kind of like, we don't know what enablement is, but we know we need it. So figure it out. Um, a, it was proposals. And then and then from there, it was like, let's start to get our hands around some of the content that the team is using and start to centralize that and figure out a way to put it all in one place so folks aren't downloading it to their desktop. Let's figure out a way to start thinking about training. And then the last piece that was really kind of interesting was let's figure out why we're winning and losing. Um, and let's start running a program quarterly where we're analyzing all of our wins and losses and coming up with themes and then start interviewing customers. And so I build out that program and, and that became a real um, sort of like institution for enablement. And, and I think, you know, enablement sometimes can just be thought of as training or content, but I think that assessment piece um, is pretty critical and has been pretty foundational to, to my success. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. What what sort of things are you looking at assessing? I think um, what we would look at is like a building a benchmark so that you can see progress or you know lack of progress um, across yeah. a number of different areas. So we would look at sort of rep tenure 
and put reps into different cohorts based on their tenure and then see where they were performing. And we could almost get to the point where if we had a down quarter, we could see that a bunch of reps would be moving into a cohort that was more successful from a win rate perspective. And we could almost mm -hmm. predict, uh, pretty closely predict that our next quarter would be better because that cohort would then have more successful reps in it. Um, and then their their success would you know would translate into more wins. And we would look at industry, we would look at uh, you know competition, um, and we would cut it a bunch of different ways. It was it was it was really fun. And then I could build yeah. programs based on that. Yeah, yeah. So wow, I actually got my um, imagination going a bit here. So talk to me a little bit more about that the reps going into different cohorts because I I feel like there's um. Maybe you're getting at this this idea of um, the tacit knowledge that gets built up. It, you know, it's, it's by tenure, right? So there's an experience yep. level that increases, and as people get more experience, there's more tacit knowledge. They know without being able to say what it is. They know what to do in that given moment, and then therefore others around them could benefit from that experience. Is that like kind of what you were seeing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's also a sense of confidence. Uh, we could talk a little bit more about confidence because that's one of the the markers that I look at a lot. Um, but I think there's a sense of confidence once you're out of sort of that six month to one year cohort of, okay, I know what I'm doing. And I think confidence can really be a, a huge driver of sales, but I also think it's a pretty key metric for enablement um, to focus on and measure. Um, and that's something we do at Guru. It's something I've done at, at previous companies is measure sort of that confidence level. Uh, and I think, you know, that that was really, really interesting and indicative of sort of those different tenure levels. So how how do you measure confidence? I ask the reps. I run a I run a separate survey every quarter. How con confident yeah. are you performing your role? How confident are you selling this product? Um, and then uh, various other questions and, and sort of benchmark that. And I think, you know, you can sometimes see it. But I also think it's interesting to measure, especially if you're coming into a new company, how confident mm. is the team that I'm going to be enabling? And can I make that metric go up uh, significantly and, and sort of prove my impact right away? Yeah. Uh, do you have any concerns of like self-reported confidence levels? Like people are like, well, oh, of course I'm confident because, you know, they feel like their job's at, at stake. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect metric, um, but I do think, you know, neither is win-loss win because enabling can influence everything. But I think yeah. we get we get a lot closer to increasing rep confidence. And I think especially for companies that haven't had enablement, just somebody coming in uh, can provide some confidence that they know, OK, I've got something behind this. There's somebody thinking through these these problems. There's someone on the other side here to help me. Um, so it's not the perfect metric, but I've, I found it to be pretty indicative of, of success and, and success from an enablement standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I I love it, and and so there's this this sort of sense of reps getting reps, and yep. you know through that process of you know getting on sales calls, writing proposals, whatever, all the the inputs, um, they're developing this tacit knowledge. Yeah. Um, how how do you try and influence the developments of that knowledge? Um, you know, outside of just that that individual direct experience. Then go go a little bit deeper for me. I'm, I'm not totally. Following. So like so, I think where I'm I'm trying to take to where I often talk about talk about in tech conversations is is the sort of peer to peer element, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can you can expose the reps to to a number of reps of, of doing those things, and they they're going to build some level of experience and confidence doing that. Um, but there's also a lot of benefit from being around people that are you know, in in those tenured cohorts a little bit higher yep. and higher than you. Um, so how are you looking to expose them to that knowledge? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. I, I think we did it a bit um, at, at Glint. And I think one of the ways that we would do it is whenever something new was coming, we would have the reps with like the highest tenure, with the best success, sort of demonstrate it, prove it out, see it early and start to get a mm. few reps under their belt so that everybody mm. wasn't learning at once. And then, I mean, I think you probably hear this all the time, but I think reps learn best from reps, um, not meeting, yeah. not meeting more reps, but uh, from each other, Actual other people, other people. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. we're really riffing on the rep, yeah. rep, rep. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think doing that. And then obviously there's a, there's a ton of tools 
um, you know, gong, chorus, those types of tools where mm. you can expose the team to what looks good um, and how how good can can manifest itself, you know, in the wild. Um, mm. So getting reps to teach each other. I always have a session in, in every all hands that we do where it's from the field and reps are sharing mm. what they're doing. And I think the more peer-to-peer stuff and the more that enablement can get out of the way, I think the more beneficial um, the programs will be. Yeah, totally. Um, and so you you mentioned the word cohorts. Um, are you are you using cohorts in in the um, you know the sort of educational sense where like you're bringing people together in in um, consistent ways to kind of learn from each other? And you mentioned that all hands is, is one example of that. But anything else you're doing beyond that? I haven't looked a ton at cohorts. You know, given that in my current role, I haven't been here too long. Um, and in mm-hmm. fact, we have a lot of different reps that have been here for quite some time. So the cohort problem, we're not hiring as much. The cohort problem isn't as acute as it was in, in my role at Glint. Um, so I'm not focused on that in particular, but I am focused more yeah. at the team level. And maybe we can get into that sort of like role specific stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's do that. Like, what does that look like? How are you thinking about the different roles in the sales team? Yeah, it's been really fun to like be in a role, I, I run revenue enablement, not sales enablement, um, where I have in the past. And that sales enablement was more sort of like one me to new biz. Um, yeah. Whereas now it's focused, you know, from, you know, pre-sales to post-sales. And I think what's yeah. really interesting is sort of the nuances uh, between each role and sort of how do you uh, tailor a message and how does everybody learn all at once one thing? And then how do you sort of tailor that going on down. So we're, we're rolling out a program right now where we're looking at product usage as an indicator for, you know, propensity to buy or um, strength mm. to uh, renew or expand. And it's been really interesting to see the nuances of the ways that we use that from a new biz perspective versus the ways that we use it uh, from an expand perspective. Yeah. So it, it, a lot of the work you're doing sounds very data driven. Yep. Like you're, it, it almost starts with with the data and then you you're adapting your programs and developing programs based on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, what, what, uh, I want to sort of get a flavor of some of the programs that in interventions that you come up with, what, what are like, say, you know, you, you've, you, that, that particular example with the, the usage data and, and what that translates into buy signal, what, you know, what, what intervention would you do based on that? Yeah, I actually, I want to use a different example because we've just kicked that off. And so I don't quite know. I don't have all the data yet, Um, but I will sort of harken back to that confidence survey. Um, I call it the voice of revenue. And basically, I'm looking at a bunch of different metrics in addition to that confidence. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking around challenges. And I think one of the interventions that we did was we saw that one of our use cases could have been stronger, that our reps felt less confident about a particular use case that we solve. Um, and we had all these different plans to do, you know, this training and that training, external trainings, that type of thing. But, it, you know, I was a month into my role and saw this data and was able to sort of say, okay, we need to go really, really deep on this use case, the persona, the case studies, the problem, the, the solution. Um, and we were able to just sort of like build this sprint around sort of that, um, you know, bright spot in the data. And one of the things mm-hmm. that we did, and this kind of comes back to the peer-to-peer issue or, or uh, piece, is that we had the reps uh, scored both on sort of the way that they demoed to this use case and how they played the persona. So they would be paired up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they had to embody that persona and ask the questions and ask the, uh, you know, put forth the objections that that persona would be, you know, raising. And I think this gets a rep into the mind of the persona that they're, yeah. you know, talking totally. to. So it gives them sort of a unique uh, rep uh, as, as, as it were. <laughs> um, and that was yeah. seemed really, yeah. really effective to get the team to be thinking around this persona, not just, from a sales perspective. Yeah, it's um yeah, cuz role players can be really cringy and and poorly used, right? Yep. But now I think when you put the thing on saying we're going to measure you in terms of how well you're playing that, they really have to get into the head of the buyer. Yep. That, yeah. Uh, 
yeah that's really smart um i also it, it feels like you so you mentioned the bright spot in the data that was a great way to characterize it um how much of enablement is influencing revenue strategy uh, you know, versus like vice versa yeah i think um I think it's one input, but I think it can be a pretty strong input, especially if you're measuring it uh, consistently over time. Um, I've seen, you know, with the win-loss program that I've run in the past, I've seen that basically drive a lot of the strategy that we were doing. I mean, we saw, it, you know, one example we saw, we were losing consistently to a really big competitor. Um, and so we built programs specifically to address that. And we saw a 10% win win rate increase versus that competitor the month after we did that training. Um, and I think, you know, that's driving the full strategy. I mean, we had the whole revenue org together for that. Um, and the same for now, I think, you know, I roll up directly to the CRO. Um, and so we're mm -hmm. always talking about this data. We're always talking about this strategy. And I think it, it helps, it helps. Uh, it's probably one lens in many, um, but it, mm. it certainly colors the strategy of the way we go forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, the more I sort of talk about this, the more it's, um, I see enablement characterized as kind of like a coordinator role within a, you know, the, there's the, the franchise and there's the head coach and yep. then a coordinator like focused on that specific, like, you know, looking at like little areas to get an edge basically. Yeah. I love that. We're still like, in enablement, still trying to figure out the metaphors that work because it's, it's so nuanced <laughs> yeah. and it's changing and it's growing and it's so new, yeah. but I like that idea of a coordinator. I think that's, uh, that's, that's probably, probably right on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to, um, this is a question I ask because this is the learning culture podcast, right? I'm, I'm fascinated in this idea of, of companies being, um, almost autonomous learning organisms where you know people are learning and, and so this will tie into the knowledge management stuff that guru does which i know is a big passion of yours as well but um like what what does learning culture mean to you what does learning culture mean to me um i think it means a couple things one i think it, it, it's being able to find the content when you need it because we're all learning at different times or be able to find the information when you need it um and to not necessarily always have to search for it, but to have it sort of like spring up upon you uh, or to have it sort of like fall into your lap. Um, because I think mm. when that happens, the, the connective tissue becomes stronger and you start to think, yeah. oh, what about this? What about that? Um, and I think that that sense of curiosity, I think, you know, needs to underlay all of it. Um, and the other yeah. piece is just a, a sense of hunger. Um, that's why I love working mm in revenue, in go-to-market, because uh, we're usually tied to a number and there's a sense of creativity in getting to that number and that's there's that hunger. And so I want to encourage that. And I think, you know, a learning culture to me is, a, is, a, is indicative of what sales has to do and that's go hunt or go find or, um, mm -hmm. and I think encouraging that in different ways is... is is so fun. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. helps drives the process forward. Yeah. That's a brilliant answer. I, I love that. I mean, you curiosity and creativity are two things you mentioned are so fundamental to it. And often not like I, I find um synonymous with sales teams, but Correct. to you it, it's it is like you it, it's so fundamental to yeah. to to what to what they do. Hey, it's your host, Andrew here. I wanted to take a second just to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you did a couple of things for us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It really allows us to grow the channel and reach a lot more people like you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and review. It's a great way to give us some feedback and to tell the world what you think about this podcast. So whether you listen to it on YouTube or you're listening to it as a podcast, if you take one of those actions, it would mean the world to me and my team. Thank you. And with that, right back to the show. I'm fascinated by what, what Guru um, brings to the market and, and this idea of knowledge management. And I'll, and I'll sort of preface this for anybody watching or listening to this episode um, and go back and verify this. Look, Listen to previous episodes that we've done. 
every single time I ask this question, no one's got it figured out, right? Everyone's like, either like, oh, that's, that's a really good question or we don't know. And what I'm referring to is, is the question of, you know, how do you capture and share information as it's being discovered, as it's being, you know, created in someone's head. Um, and we talked about before tacit knowledge, converting that into explicit knowledge so that others can benefit from it. Um, that's sort of where Guru sits center as, as a, as a product that solves that challenge. So, yep. um, yeah, feel free to kind of jump in here where you think makes sense. If you want to characterize the problem a little bit more or like how Guru solves it, but, but where do you see the potential here for people? Yeah, I think, I think there's a number of different ways. I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is so many conversations, so much information is happening yeah. in Slack and Teams. Um, so these areas of communication, I think, you know, to your point, like that's where knowledge is popping up and at, at the immediate moment and mm. at a very, you know, sort of feature level, Guru has, you know, a feature where you basically can create a Guru card directly from that conversation or directly from that bit of uh, content. Um, you can add that content to an existing card if it's net new. And I think that idea mm. of being able to almost, you know, write it down on a sticky and throw it onto something, uh, throw it into your guru instance, I think is a, is a great way to sort of capture that knowledge while it's happening. I think another way is just like, especially in this remote world, like, you know, we're not having some of these shoulder taps or these like, you know, mm. water cooler conversations. And one thing mm. that I've seen be really cool is just using Loom or some of these recording, you know, programs or even recording in Slack. Hey, yeah. this is how I think about this problem. What do you think? And sort of finding like async ways to communicate, I think yeah. is a is an is another way to sort of like connect those dots, especially because they're not happening and that tacit knowledge isn't necessarily happening one to one or in the bullpen or or anything like that. So those are some of the two. I mean those are probably more tactical, but, uh, those yeah. are the ways that I've seen it, it work really well. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to dig into that cause I, there's, um, there's this, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with like personal knowledge management, PKM and the sort of industry that's kind of built up around that? No. Okay. So there are the folks are listening as well. There's, there's a whole like industry around this in the creator space, uh, productivity gurus often talk about it. So, PKM, right? Um, one of I think the the one of the foremost thinkers in the space, a guy called Tiago Forte, and he's got a book called Building a Second Brain, right? And it's and it's this whole idea of like you you are you know the whole um, day you're exposed to bits of information, like you said, from Slack and from the internet and from emails and whatever, and you want to be able to to reuse that in yeah. some way. And you and then you also sort of alluded to the benefit of the sort of promise of this which is you you start to see patterns and you start to bring things together and you 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 know that's often that's creativity right like seeing patterns and things that others haven't and so he has a, a really helpful framework for thinking of this it's called code and it's uh, c-o-o-d-e and it's capture so you first have to and these are kind of like the steps in in this process like capturing the information right is, is a whole set of challenges and and and, and processes then there's organizing it then there's distilling it, right? Because it's like capturing like a, a an email is, you know, that's not really useful to the next person, right? So being able to like distill what the key points are. And then the final one is expressing it. And so like in the world of personal knowledge management, that's writing a blog post or writing a tweet or, you know, like, you know, that kind of thing, right? So in the world of we're talking about, that would be turning that distilled information into you know a sales call or like closing a deal like you know so it's it's using it right yep. in some way um so like i i want to like kind of i want to go through each of those and and sort of just get your thoughts on that because like i said all each of them have a challenge to them so let's talk about the challenges of capture because like this stuff's happening at you a million miles an hour you're jumping between calls you're answering emails non-stop like how have you seen people effectively identify that information and like quickly capture it so it can be moved to the next step? Yeah, I think there's I think there's two ways. Well, I'm sure there's many ways, but two ways come to mind. One, I think, is sort of like a democratic way where it's almost one to one, um, and you're seeing information come in and pre, you know creating a 
you know, you said building a second brain, like creating a brain where everyone can contribute um, and mm. sort of a democratic way because people are learning at different times. They're learning different things. Uh, and I think we can get into the organizing piece in a little bit once you sort of get past that. The other way is, is using, you know, some of the tools that we do have and like looking at trends and using automation to sort of see what are the common themes that are flowing through and then almost suggesting, hey, this is yeah. this is a content that is being asked for or being talked about that you should sort of collect um, and organize. And I think that's probably where the sort of space is moving is surfacing those trends that's kind of like looking across all of our communication platforms mm. and sort of saying, well, these people are emailing about this, customers are asking about that, um, people are talking in Slack about this. Here's what you should be creating. And then, you know, from an enablement standpoint, not only is that the content, but then the expression, how do we train to that? How do we sort of get ahead of that? Yeah. Um, so that's, that, those are my, my, my two responses to the scene. Yeah. I think that's super interesting because that second one, I mean, is that, that what Guru does? Is it able to kind of intelligently suggest like, Hey, you should be paying attention to this. You should be capturing that. I think tools are moving that direction. I wouldn't say there's anyone okay. out there that's doing it yet at sort of the scale that yeah. it should be done or could be done. Um, yeah. But I think Guru's really well positioned to do it. Yeah, that's a lot of potential in, in that. Um, so let's talk organizing. So and this is such a key step because with, you know if, if it's not well organized, no one's going to be able to use it. And so now you can build this amazing second brain, but like if no one's using it, it's it's not, it's not, it's not great. Um, so what is, what do you think about and how to like organize that information so that it's easily accessible? Yeah, this is a, this is a really fun one. And this is why I've used guru for so long and, and I'll probably get on my, I'll probably get on my, uh, my high horse with this one, but I, I think, yeah. and, and no disrespect to folks who do knowledge management, because I think there's a really, there's a need for that to think in hierarchies, to think of how people learn, how people consume content. But I also think in our world where we're Googling things and we're um, simply searching for things, that's sort of the new mode. And I think that's where organization can take a back seat. If you have a really strong mm -hmm. search engine and content is able to be surfaced, information is being able to be found in the ways that people find information already. They search in a search bar or they, um, you know, they see something that is related uh, after searching for the thing that they're looking for. So with Guru, like I have not seen a tool search like this, except for Google search, like Guru search is so yeah. strong that that organization piece isn't as uh, laborious mm. or uh, pivotal. Um, yeah. And I think, yes, it can create a lot of noise. And I think there does need to be some sort of organization, but it's not as critical in thinking about doesn't need to be in this bucket or that bucket. And how will someone get to that bucket and then go, you know, eight layers deeper, mm -hmm. you know, we search immediately mm -hmm. and we expect now to have that, you know, pop yeah. up. And I think, you know, Guru does an amazing job at that. Yeah. And so a big part of the Google's success is, is being able to understand search intent, yep. right? So like, how, how are you like, and now I'm most in your roles and an enabler, um, of, the, of people like how are you getting an understanding of what 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 is going to be useful to my team yeah i think um i think one is is just seeing what they're searching for and what they're constantly looking for um so you know understanding you know the the case studies the competitors seeing some of that information and then we're also able to see what they're searching for and not finding and i think that intent mm -hmm. is really interesting of Oh, well, maybe there's a blind spot that we, you know, need to address if they're searching for this type of industry over and over and they're not finding it. Um, I think that intent is, is interesting. And then, um, I also think there's a way that the industry may be going to be searching cross platforms. And I think that's a really interesting problem because not all of the knowledge lives mm. in guru or lives in Slack. It may live in Google Drive. It yeah. may live in your LMS. It may live um, in Confluence. So finding ways to sort of connect all of those um, and surface that information, I think, is going to be, and it probably probably gets closer to the intent and probably takes it a little bit further. 
Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the holy grail. Yeah. Like to be yeah. able to, yeah. Because uh, you kind of also then eliminate some of that capture step or the, ne- the, the sort of necessity of that step. Um, yeah. Okay. That That's um, a super interesting. On the D part, yeah. right? So like distilling it. So one of the, the challenges I think I've always seen uh, when we work with companies and we're implementing a knowledge practice is empowering people or sort of like, yeah, empowering people to be custodians of that knowledge, right? So like, when you go in there and use it, leave it better than you found it. Like, how can you, what did you learn that you can add to it like that? Cause I think once you've got that in a decentralized way, like it, you know, the whole, you, you have less and less of a need for someone to sort of manage it top down. Um, so first of all, I mean, is that, is that a challenge that you can relate to? Like, have you seen that as well? And, and how do you approach that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think it it's, that's probably where it almost uh, in, in, in my earlier piece, where organization isn't as critical, I think distillation becomes more critical because you've yeah. got a lot more content. And I think, um, you know, it's one thing to be able to throw all these stickies at the wall and have all this information. It's another thing to have a thoughtful way to, to sort of like keep those stickies relevant. Um, and, yeah. you know, at Guru, we have sort of this freshness score uh, and we basically have verifiers that are constantly reminded at certain intervals you know, that the content is kept up to date. Um, and if that content gets stale, they're reminded um, to go in and clean it up. And so I think, you know, some of these like more set it and forget it ways to sort of keep that distillation, you know, relevant, uh, I think is really mm. important. Um, and it's, I think that's where knowledge management, knowledge managers come in um, and can really lend a big yeah. hand is like, how do we keep this information relevant long term? And, you know, yeah. constantly go in. So I think, you know, there's, there's some automated ways to do it, but I also think that's probably more critical in, in a search world than a sort of hierarchy yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you any thoughts on the, the behavioral side of this? Like, do you, like, could you, do you feel confident that your reps are maintaining that space are, you know, adding to it or making it easier for the next person? Um, and how are you, how are you trying to influence that? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a, uh, I think that's an interesting problem because, uh, if we go back to my earlier point of like democratizing it, you know, and sort of yeah. using content in the way that we use other content outside of our work, you know, we're commenting on things, we're liking things, we're reading things and moving on to the next thing and not necessarily sort of digesting all of the information And I think there's some ways that, you know, we can get impressions, so to speak, of Mm -hmm. how did people interact with this content internally and use that data to sort of understand what would make it look better in the future. And so, you know, we have a lot of sort of features to do that. Um, But I think those impressions can be really indicative for enablement of how are these things landing? What do I need to do to make them land better? How do I think about the E yeah. in a different way, uh, sort of the yeah. next time and, and sort of building on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, is there, I'm just curious, is there a um, ownership attached to a guru yep. card? Yep. So it could be like, I, I created yep. that one, you yep. created this. Okay. So that that plays into this and helps a bit because you can, there's, um, there's like a status, you know, to, to having a lot. For example. And if you have a, if you have a question, you know who to go to. You can, you know, DM them yeah, or oh, yes. ideally you can just comment on the card and they'll be sort of pinged to respond. Yeah. And so there's a sense of, I think it comes back to that confidence too, that I know, I know who this person is generally. Uh, so I know that this content is verified. It's not just some Google doc that's floating around and I don't quite know who owns it or where it came from. Um, so there's, it comes back to sort of that confidence piece that I, Hey, I can use this. Yeah. Um, and, and, and be yeah. confident in it. How do you address the, the challenge? I mean, all new technology has this, that it's like, Oh, another place I need to go, or I need to be in the flow of my day. Yeah. Right. I've got Slack, I've got email, I've got, the, I've got my CRM. Um, how, how, how do you think through, through that challenge? Yeah, I think again, I'm going to get on my, on my guru soapbox, but, um, I think, some of the things that guru, and guru saw this problem, I think, very, very early on, and they saw that, hey, we don't want to be another destination. 
Um, and so Guru has a, a Chrome browser um, that simply lives uh-huh. on top of Salesforce or your CRM or, you know, your customer mm-hmm. page, wherever you're working. Um, and it's also, yeah. we're really well integrated with Slack. Uh, Slack's actually a, an, an investor. And so you can search mm-hmm. simply within Slack uh, for content, surface content, share content um, right within Slack. And so I think those two pieces sort of create this like living and breathing second brain um, on top of where yeah. you already are. And it's not another tab, um, which can become pretty cumbersome. I'm yeah. actually looking at all the tabs I have open now. Uh, none of them are guru. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, in, it's yeah. an interesting problem. And I think, you know, those are the ways to... To, to solve it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like thinking of it as a layer, uh, on top of the usual flow of, of works. Um, so, so let's, let's, let's hit the E, um, for completeness yet. So the E is to me in this context is about, are people actually using it to, you know, for their next prospect email or their next call or whatever. Um, yeah, just talk, what's the, what, what behavior have you seen around that and any, any advice for folks on, on that? Yeah, I think um, it's that's that's the hard one. I mean, I think E is probably also for enablement, right? Like that's where we come in yeah. to sort of uh, find different modes, find different vehicles, ask those questions, use sort of that survey to understand how are these things landing, but then also looking at the data, seeing how usage and verbiage is going in chorus or gong and searching for certain terms or surfacing terms. I just did this training. Am I seeing those terms show up over mm-hmm. time? Um, and then the reinforcement, mm-hmm. right? Hey, rep X, who's in cohort B, uh, is doing this really, really well. Let's learn from how they're doing it and surfacing that information. Um, and then obviously using tools like Guru to sort of understand how many times are reps coming back to this content? Are they using it over time? Yeah. Is it like one of the top 10 they've used in the last month and getting signals there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I can imagine that the, the survey piece is a big part of this too. You got to talk to the people and like, you know, are, are you using this? Is it, is it useful? Yeah. And yeah. I think the survey piece for some of the folks on the, uh, you know, that are listening who maybe are newer to enablement, I think the survey piece is a really good way to manage up and not sort of be dictated that you're running this training and you're doing this program. But to provide a lens and a voice of, hey, this is what the team needs. We can do this training. But I also think we need to lean in here. And it gives it gives a sense of cachet uh, and can help sort of reset uh, the parameters, so to speak. I found it to be really helpful. Yeah. 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 Um, so at the risk of this becoming a, a sort of product uh, podcast, yeah. um, I want to get get back to your career and, and, and you as an enabler. So I, how do you learn? How do you go about learning and developing your role? Um, I am a, an auditory learner. So if I hear it, I'm learning. So I'm constantly listening to podcasts like this, books. Um, mm. I consume a lot like that. Sometimes I'm doing video, but I'm just listening. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of blogs out there. It's easy to read stuff, but I sort of consume it by hearing it. Uh, so my, my, my podcasts or my, uh, ear pods are, are well used. Um, but that's really how, how I learn. And then I think it's, it's some of the application too, of diving in and sort of deconstructing the problem and building it back up. And I think that's one of the funnest parts about enablement is that you sort of have to, you have to take it apart to sort of, uh, express it. Um, so I think those two pieces yeah. for me, those, those are how I, how I learn. Mm. It sounds like there's a, there's a sort of bias that you, cause you mentioned this earlier as well, like you know, reps getting reps. It's like a, a bias of doing an action and sort of experimenting a little yep. bit. Yeah. And I think that probably goes to also like, I've, I've never carried a bag. I haven't been a salesperson. So there's a sense of, I have to get in it to be able to be, uh, you know, confident sharing it, but also, you know, credible. Um, and I think, you know, those two things are, are really important to me and, and probably a little bit my imposter syndrome, uh, being in enablement. Yeah. And there's a, there's a mix of, of people that have have carried a bag, like you said, or, or, or haven't. And, and, um, 
it is fascinating to see. I think everyone brings such a different perspective, obviously. And like those two camps, if you had to separate them as well, bring, bring different perspectives, um, on this. Totally. So yeah. It's been fun kind of, kind of learning about that. Um, I, I sort of related to the learning point, actually definitely related is what, what role is failure or mistakes played in, in your career? Uh, in my career, um, I haven't failed, so it's been pretty good. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should take that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of failure, I think, uh, I think those are the, I mean, I'm sure everyone says this, but like, those are the most pivotal times, um, because you can see, mm. okay, very, very clearly here's where I can do better. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's simple stuff by forgetting to include a manager and a call, or sometimes it's, you know, uh, pretty monumental stuff where you totally forgot about sort of this component and didn't incorporate it. Um, I think some of the, the biggest failures that I've had are sort of communication failures and sort of making sure that all of the stakeholders were, were in the room, were providing their input or were brought along in the process. Um, and I think in enablement, you know, we have to play that coordinator role to your point. Um, and I think yeah. the biggest failures yeah. is when we don't do that, um, because then we can get sidetracked or the, you know, the focus can become changed or we don't bring somebody along mm. that could be critical in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you normalize failure like uh, maybe this is something you think about with people that, that report to you maybe you've seen a leader you know do this really well but how do you make that like okay for people yeah gosh i've gotten to i've gotten to work under some great leaders and i think you know when they're open uh and and from the top uh transparent about hey we missed this we missed this quarter and here's why um you know not because of this person didn't close you know, enough business, but because we didn't support it in this way, or we thought mm. we were going to be able to roll this out um, and we missed it. Um, when that comes from the top, I think that normalizes it. And I think, yeah. you know, taking cues from those above you and, and modeling that, I think, you know, I think is so important, but I think if it's not happening at the top, it starts with you uh, and you model it on down. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really, I really think that's, that's, you know, pretty critical. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great answer. Um, definitely been my experience as well. Um, all right. So two more, um, quick ones to, to, to round this out. Um, what are you reading, learning in your case, listening to right now? Well, I have this, the second brain metaphor, uh, I'm like fascinated by political history. So I'm reading a ton about, uh, uh basically all of Watergate and sort of that whole era. Um, interesting. probably we don't have to get into the politics of it, but I just think it's an interesting pivotal time. Uh, so that's sort of my second brain yeah. that kind of keeps me going. Do you, do you just, that's the first time someone's answered and I completely out of, um, the, the context of this, you know, conversation of the, of the, of the work and all that. Um, do you draw stuff from that in your role? Like, are you able to apply like lessons from that? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, well, may, maybe to that transparency point, right. Of, uh, you know, being transparent, yeah. being open, yeah. um, and, and, you know, you know, not, not sort of like trying to project too much, um, but just operating mm. from a, from a space that's, you know, comfortable and open. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's one of my favorite things. Like people like drawing from That's the second brain thing of like, you find from a totally different yep. field, right? Something that you can apply in, in your field. Um, so, okay. So final question, Chad, why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Well, I think very fundamentally, I don't know how many of your listeners are, 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 uh, know about the Enneagram. Um, but it's one sort of, I'm a okay. I'm a okay. Okay. Fan. Good. Well, well then they <laughs> yeah. can listen back and understand a little bit more, but essentially it's a personality test yeah. and, um, I identify deeply as a helper, uh, which is the number two in the Enneagram score. Yep. Two. And yeah. so I find my motivation from helping others, seeing others happy, um, being involved in what others are doing. And I think that could be 
a, a definition of enablement um, in a in a very one to one way. Um, and so I find a lot of my energy from sort of pouring into what others are doing and seeing them succeed. So I think that's like the embodiment of the way that I approach enablement and sort of uh, who I am at my core. That's a, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think so I'm an, I'm an Enneagram okay. eight. Um, two is my kind of like, when I'm at yep. my best, I'm sort of in that two zone. So I can very much relate to it. And I think you're onto something. I think a lot of people in enablement roles are in mm. two. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think that's, I think that's. Or sixes. Yeah, yeah. Or yep. sixes. Yeah, which is my <laughs> wife. Um, yeah, that's um, that's, a, that's a great answer. You're giving me a lot. We could do a whole nother episode <laughs> on, on just that. Um, but unfortunately, we, we, we've run out of time for today's episode, but I want to give you the last word, Chad. So if folks want to get in touch with you, kind of find, you know, follow along with your journey, um, even Guru as well, where should they go? I'm, you know, I, I, I come from LinkedIn. Uh, I was there for a while. So that's like probably the, the spot where I spend the most time. Um, I'm not, I'm not tweeting too much about enablement or anything like that, though. My wife does work at Twitter. Um, so find me on LinkedIn, um, and find me in some of the, cool. the enablement communities like the enablement squad. Um, always happy to help. I love riffing on this stuff and, uh, I look forward to our Enneagram podcasts coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot. A lot of fun. Uh, we'll include links to all that. And, uh, and folks have got a lot of material to, to work through here to be able to ask you some good questions. Uh, Chad, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listen. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.